the readings for the last Sunday of Epiphany, year 2023, are Exodus 24, verses 12 to 18, Psalm 2, second reading is 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, and the gospel reading comes from Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. I encourage you to pause, get a Bible, and take a look at those verses before you listen to this sermon. Well, grace and peace to you, my friends. Mount Tabor is a large, somewhat steep hill in central Galilee. On our most recent trip to Israel this past October, the pilgrims who traveled to Israel had the opportunity one afternoon to comfortably ride in a very modern coach bus about halfway up the hill. And then arriving at a small rest area, we were obliged to exchange our modern mode of transportation from that very comfortable coach bus to a rather old and shabby, very worn out taxi cab. The saying is that the Lord is very pleased with the amount of prayers and alms received from the pilgrims on top the mountain as they arrive, lavishly giving thanks and praise when they disembark the taxi. Of course, that story is told of the many places across the world where taxi drivers await to whisk pilgrims away to various sorts of shrines or holy sites around the world. However, on Mount Tabor, one tends to believe it wholeheartedly. Mount Tabor is the traditional site of what we moderns call the Transfiguration. We are not absolutely sure Mount Tabor is the actual place of the Transfiguration. It is just as likely that Jesus traversed up Mount Hermon, another steep hill in the land of Galilee, with Peter, James, and John on that day. No matter what hill they climbed, they did not go up there to see the view. No, Jesus and his three friends had a much different mission that day, a much different view than expected, in fact. And their mission there that day may help to lead us this day into a blessed and good Lenten season. The view that Peter, James, and his brother John did see that day, however, was quite astonishing, really. Jesus seen in his full glory. Alongside him were Moses and Elijah, shining brightly as well. Many commentators say that the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus in his full divinity on that day. However, as I've already pointed out, in the Gospels, they tell us that both Moses and Elijah were shining brightly as well. Thus, seeing Jesus in his divinity will not fly, as neither Moses nor Elijah were or are divine. So might I suggest that instead of seeing Jesus in his full divinity, what Peter, James, and John did see gives us a snapshot of what life behind the veil separating heaven and earth actually looks like, actually what it means to be in the presence of the living God. And if this is what the reality of heaven and earth joined together does indeed look like, 
then one day, my friends, all of God's people will indeed shine in the same manner, in the same way. In other words, this scene is actually a snapshot of what lies ahead for us who believe that Jesus is the Christ. A snapshot which should give us some very positive encouragement to face our daily struggles we find in this life. All that said, the transfiguration, the story which we read from Matthew's gospel this morning, offers a strange yet vital contrast to the way in which Jesus is to walk in his coming days. Of course, that way is to the cross. And so the framers of the weekly lectionary readings offer to us on the Sunday, just prior to Lent, this Sunday, this story of seeing Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in the light of their perfected humanity as it is in heaven. As I was meditating on this scene, as we are, and as we are heading into Lent, I wondered why the authors of the lectionary series didn't have us read about Jesus' account of trial and temptation when he spent 40 days in the desert prior to Lent. Seems to me that we are about to head into the desert ourselves for 40 days, and why, why not line the two up? The last Sunday before Lent begins. How, how the last Sunday before Lent begins, that is. However, after more reflection and some reading from the early church fathers, the early church tells us that if we want to see Jesus in his full divinity, we need only to look at Jesus on the cross. So upon further reflection, I found great meaning and depth in contrasting the Mount of Transfiguration with the Holy Hill of Calvary. So, the Mount of Transfiguration and the Hill of Calvary. If you want to meditate on one, we do well to meditate on the other. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus in his fully perfected body of humanity. On the hill of Calvary, we see Jesus hanging in shame. On the mountain, we see Jesus dazzled in clothes of bright white. At Calvary, we see Jesus stripped and naked, beaten and bruised, with soldiers gambling for his tunic. On the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus is flanked by Israel's two great heroes, Moses and Elijah, one who represents the law, that being Moses, the other who represents the prophets, Elijah. On Calvary, we see Jesus flanked by two thieves, two brigands, two thieves who represent how low the people of Israel had fallen in their rebellion against the God of heaven. On the mountain of transfiguration, a bright cloud envelops the scene, a deep, inky darkness swallows up Calvary in the city of Jerusalem. On the mountain of glory, Peter, in his excitement and, antici and anticipation for the kingdom of heaven, says somewhat victoriously, Lord, let us put up three shelters so that you may stay here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. At Calvary, Peter's not even in the picture at all as he has run away in shame and guilt for having denied Jesus not once but three times, standing around that charcoal fire the night before. 
On the mountain of transfiguration, Matthew tells us that the voice of God is heard saying, This is my Son, the Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. On Calvary, a Roman centurion declared, Truly this man was God's Son. The mountain explains the hill, and the hill explains the mountain. Standing side by side, we are allowed to see the glory in the cross and the cross in the glory. We too, you and I, must learn to see, feel, and understand the glory in bearing our own cross. We too must learn to see, feel, and understand the cross as it leads to our perfection and glory in heaven. It is here we begin to understand the joy of our God as He expresses those words on the mountain and then feel and see God's tears of sadness as He witnesses the scene at the cross. On the mountain we see the strength, the power, the glory of God. And on the cross we see Jesus' strength. We see Jesus' power. We see Jesus in His full glory. By the way, this strength, power, and glory is that which now lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All of this comparing and contrasting of the mountain of transfiguration and the hill top of Calvary then led me back surprisingly to the 40 days in the desert and the temptation of Jesus from the Satan. Those temptations were meant to shortcut the struggle of this life to quickly get to the glory of this world. In that pericope of the temptation of Jesus, we hear the words from the Satan, turn these rocks into bread and quickly ease your hunger. Throw yourself down from this point so that angels may come and rescue you. Bow down and worship me, said the Satan, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, the Satan says to Jesus, you don't have to suffer all this pain. Just cut to the quick and cut through this all and I'll give you everything. How often you and I are tempted to simply shortcut the suffering of this life by eating this bowl of ice cream or drinking this liquid or inhaling this substance to numb the pain or just fall into bed with this person or that person and all will be well. No, all will not be well. Thanks be to God, Jesus does not fall for Satan's plan, nor should we. Jesus does, however, ascend the mountain of transfiguration as we read today. And he participates in the glory of heaven and earth together, and then he girds up his loins to face the holy hill of Calvary. My friends, it is this spirit of the living, loving, and liberating God of heaven which now dwells within us today. And with this thought then, may we enter into a most holy, blessed, and good Lent to carry us through the 40 days ahead and into the rest of our lives. One more thought as we meditate on this passage from the Mount of Transfiguration to the Hill of Calvary 
just prior to our own entering into the season of Lent. Matthew contrasts not only these two hills in Israel, but Matthew compares and contrasts for us the life of Moses to the life of Jesus. Yes, Matthew compares for us the life of Elijah and Jesus as well, but for today, let's just focus on comparing the life of Moses and Jesus for a few moments. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Jesus leads the people of God out of slavery and sin and death and into new creation, new life, a new beginning, being born again. During the years Moses was in the desert, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the law, the way of life for the people of Israel. Jesus ascended a mountain and delivered to his followers the completion of that law, in which is known to us today as the Sermon on the Mount. For Moses, after the people of Israel had quickly and completely broken the law that was given to them by Moses from God, and then entirely departed from the life God was offering to them, Moses once again ascended Mount Sinai and prayed and begged for forgiveness and God's mercy for the people. Jesus willingly and knowingly carried his cross to the top of Calvary and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then near the end of Moses' life, in one of the last recorded meetings between God and Moses, God promises to send a prophet like Moses to the people of Israel to lead them once again out of slavery into the promised land. And in that conversation, God says to Moses and to all Israel, you must listen to him, him being the one to come. Now in this story of the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Moses once again meeting with God on a mountaintop. The voice coming from the cloud then confirms what Peter had declared 60 days earlier, that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus is the one spoken of way back when to Moses. Jesus was and is the promised one to come. Yet Jesus is not only a prophet, Jesus is also a priest, and Jesus is a king. Jesus is God's own son. Jesus is the Messiah. The words of God to Peter, James, and John on that day are just as appropriate for us today. This is my Son, the Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And most blessed, a most blessed and good Lent to you, my friend. Listen to Him these coming 40 days. Amen. Amen.